Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And so we should just take a breath, pause, and exercise our options. So we are, gosh, we have such a full program today. Oh, my goodness, it's going to be so wonderful. And we are kicking it off with um, our dear sister and friend, um, uh, Sister Sheba Makeda Havens, who, gosh, has done so much. And uh, we're really happy that she is now living in Eureka, where the air is cleaner and she doesn't have to worry about ah, trying to breathe. And, um, and that interview is going to be followed by, and we're going to be talking to her about the Stolen Lives Project, which uh, she started, I don't know how many years ago, but it's a day where we call the names of people that uh, were victims of uh, police violence and the, the use of uh, excessive violence cost um, these individuals their lives. And so... Um, there are going to be uh, in, uh, events happening throughout the country. And here in the Bay Area, there's going to be um, a program at Oscar Grant, Grant Plaza in Oakland on the 22nd. What else is going on? Oh, yeah, we, uh, we're we so excited also to have um, uh, Joe uh, Crater um, from Flyway Productions and Dimitri Broxton, Senior Director of Education at the Museum of the African Diaspora, joining us to talk about this really wonderful um, virtual exhibit um, that is curated um, <laughs> that is curated by I'm looking oh Rasan New York Thomas um, um, Prison Renaissance co-founder and uh, he is currently. Um, serving time at San Quentin State Prison. And there are 12 artists that um, are also incarcerated. They're a part of this really wonderful um, exhibition, Meet Us Quickly, Painting Painting for Justice from Prison. And then we're going to be talking about that with collaborators. And uh, that interview is going to be followed by another one with a wonderful um, woman whom I just met recently. 
and uh, she is going to be telling us about a African Sustainable um, Conference this weekend, Friday through Sunday, and she's going to be joining us out of um, out of <laughs> Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, let me um, let me give you her name. I know the first name is Afia, but I need to give. Oh yeah, Afia um, Raina. What is Raina's? Afia Raina. Give you the rest of her name. Sorry. <laughs> Just a second. Oh, Afia Raina Turner Greenlee, and uh, and then we're gonna close out this really full program with um with a conversation with uh Nkichi um Amerua and she is a, a writer and performer who along with um Andrew Wood at the uh San Francisco International Arts Festival has filed a lawsuit against the city of Oakland. But the festival is gonna continue um on Saturday, uh the twenty fourth. But uh, she's going to tell us about the lawsuit and about her work and about the San Francisco International Art Festival. And I, I was just kind of stalling, waiting for Sheba to call into the studio, but that is not happening right now. So I'm going to have to put on some music. Um, I'm trying to think. I was thinking about maybe something from Mama C. And uh, and she's got a, the Panther Spirit is Alive and Well in East Africa. So I'm going to play that in. Give a Sheba a ring and see what's happening. All righty, be right back. Come together now. Come together now. Africans of the diaspora, Africans of the continent, I say, come together now. They sing and rap And I feel myself caught up in the beat All goose pimply and possessed And they are pumping their hands in the air A sea of bobbing heads bouncing to the beat And I'm unselfconsciously bobbing right there with them I closed my eyes and was transported in time to the 60s. I see us in dashikis and bell-bottom pants, carved wooden fists on gold chains around our necks. I feel the wooden floor sway and shiver as a hundred feet respond to James Brown's shouts of, uh, uh, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud And then an unbridled well burst through my consciousness Tugging me back to the here and to the now I shake my head and flow into the nod of that hip-hop beat I look around me and see no bright Bordered dashikis, but the red and black robes of the Messiah. I see beadwork and conga cloth wrapped round the necks and shoulders of young black men and young black women. 
I see beaded braids and locks and shaven heads and hats embroidered with cowrie shells and paint. I hear shouts of pride in Kisakuma, Kiswahili, Kichaga, Kimeru, Kingerleza, and even French. It feels like a like a church meeting, y'all. A blues hall. A Panther P.E. meeting wrapped all in one. And I suddenly feel like I'm going to cry or grin or do both with the absolute wonder of it all. I squeeze Pete's shoulder hard as our emotions meet in complete agreement. We thrust our chins out in the defiant stance of bygone days and I can tell he is thinking the same thing that implodes my mind. That panther spirit ain't dead, no way. It just moved round the corner, crossed the ocean, and is still well and very much alive right here in an East African village. Ah, that was Mama C, uh, all the way in Tanzania, Arusha, Tanzania, with M. C. Pete. Uh, the Fat Panther Spirit is alive and well in East Africa. That Panther Spirit is alive and well in Wanda's Pick Studio with Sister Shiva. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Can you hear me well? Yes, I can. How are you doing? Oh, excellent. I'm sorry about my alarm. I don't know why. So uh, I'm doing well. I'm sorry that I'm tardy this morning. Um, oh, that's okay. Hold on one second. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I love I love uh, Charlotte. That was lovely. That takes, that's a great segue, right? So, yeah, yeah. I, was thinking about, I was thinking about my biography this morning. And I realized that I have lived through a lot of the history of this country, right? Because when I was mm-hmm. born, segregation was the law. I'll be 68 years old tomorrow. And, uh, oh, congratulations. Because, well, mine, because uh, segregation was the law, it got me started thinking about how many of my elementary school teachers were what we would call a Karen today. And... Uh, and that actually my first encounter of consciously being aware of racism was at, in kindergarten, the first day of kindergarten. So, um, and, and throughout most of my um, elementary and uh, junior high school education, we did not have a... Um, a very uh, forceful response to being uh, constantly in uh, attacked in a racist way. But in high school, that changed. Then it changed because of the Vietnam War. So that, uh, and that, and a lot of my activism came out of the uh, Vietnam War and, and my decision to join the Black Panther Party also came out at that time of the uh of the war and so there's been a lot of pivotal uh points 
in American history throughout my life. And uh, and so and then here we are coming back around. But I'm glad that it's not a circle; that it's more of a spiral. I really like the uh, philosophical idea of a spiral that you still progress even though it seems like you're going around in circles. You're actually progressing through time and space, and that means that you have to choose to go upward, which is probably more difficult than spiraling downward into despair. So it seems like my whole life has been a a fight for for a more uh, positive outcome. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. So, where are you from? Are you from the Bay Area? Um I was born I think in you South said Carolina. You're... Yeah, I yeah, was born so in you're South Southern. Carolina. Mhm. And definitely in uh culinary arts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh <laughs> I was born in uh, Fort Jackson, South Carolina, and I was born in the Army Hospital there, and that's what I was also thinking about. To my ancestors, if not all of them, were not born in hospitals. They were born at home with midwives, and uh, so that that. And my mother said it cost seven dollars <laughs> for me to be delivered. So that was uh, that was not a gigantic sum of money. And here we are again, voting on whether or not we'll have health care as uh, ordinary people, right? Mm-hmm. As the great majority of people in America voting on health care so that so that people can go to the hospital and be born or have a midwife that gets paid more than seven dollars so again uh today I'm sort of viewing my uh my history through the lens of uh where I live in America right? <laughs> in the United States. Mm-hmm. Of living it in the United States. And how did you get here? Was your father stationed here? Because I know you um, uh, that, uh, you lived here in Al- you that, lived in Alameda for a little bit, right? Yeah, and a, and a lot of the Bay Area was shaped by war. So my mm-hmm. father uh, was uh, joined the Navy during the mm-hmm. Korean War, and that's how my mother and I came to be in uh, in Alameda was uh, because the Navy had housing, right? We lived uh, in the uh, former barracks across the street from the Alameda Naval Air Station, which were known as the projects, and they were also segregated. Um, All the black people lived in in, uh, one area. The Asian people lived in in another area adjacent to the black people, and the Mexican people lived in and another area adjacent to the black people. And the uh, uh, white people lived the furthest um, east and the furthest away from the, the Naval Air Station, which is the Naval Air Station had a lot of uh, toxins in the soil and um, released in the air because of uh, jet, jet fuel and... Uh, and just the business of being the Navy, right, oil spills and all of that kind of thing. So that the most polluted area was where the black people lived, and then yellow and brown people lived in much, and, uh, and still polluted but less polluted areas. 
and then the white people were the furthest away from uh, any pollution that didn't escape into the estuary. So mm-hmm. environmental uh, racism has been alive and well for a long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. And um, and we were going to talk today about um, how one can how the process of changing policies um, legislatively or within a city government, how it takes time and patience. And uh, you oh, were telling yeah. me stories about about sort of some things that, you know, some organizing that you had done. And I remember when I met you, I think I met you, um, I mean, I knew that you were a member of the Black Panther Party, of course, but I think I met you through um, through your, your work as a poet, uh, through your through yes. your artistry yes. as a poet, because you used to have poetry readings at your house, which is really nice. Yes, I think on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, and then, and I think Emery might have introduced us. I'm not sure. And then I learned about your work um, in uh, sickle cell anemia. Hmm? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it was Paradise that introduced us because he was uh, because that's when I. When I knew uh, Paradise, I had joined the uh, International okay. Black Writers and Artists. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably so. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, so um, tell us. You know, there's so much to talk about. We're gonna have to do a part two, because I, you know, I've had you on my show before. You know, with uh, Elder Freeman, mm-hmm. who's now invested mm-hmm. to talk about the um, um, <clears throat> the the church that both of you all. Um, oh, yeah, African mm-hmm. Orthodox Church, yes. That's why I'm just pushing us, right? <laughs> yeah, right. so uh, again, history, right? But this is, this time, history came in uh, came in the form of the uh, UNIA coming to get us and <laughs> say, you need mm-hmm. to do some work now. You guys are retired. <laughs> There's still work to be. <laughs> Save this church, right? uh, the black church has always been a hub of organization during my lifetime. And uh, and when I was, my parents were not particularly religious. My father, uh, I let's see, how can I say, my father sort of introduced me to activism because he had joined the NAACP. And uh, that was during the time uh, just before the uh, murder of uh, Malcolm X. And he uh, he listened a lot to to Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, and uh, worked. <laughs> we were still living in the project, so this is before I was twelve, and so he worked a lot uh, on the idea of um, desegregation, more so, and uh, and the and civil rights. He. Uh, I don't know what exactly happened, but he did leave that behind. By then, I was involved in um, in a church in terms of the Baptist church. My godmother used to take us to uh, Star Bethel, but that was mostly just for the um, the religious aspect of the church. So it wasn't until I got in uh, junior high school that we moved to Oakland. They tore down the project and we moved to Oakland. And in a in a single family dwelling, right, which was a, a big step up in East Oakland. 
And the church, Havensport Community Church, was active in um, dealing with activities for young people. And so they, so that's where the beginning of me being an organizer came about. Because the church recognized, you know how they have people reading the scriptures? Was that the young people could not, too many instances, could not read the scriptures. So... So the so let's see. When I was in junior high school, a couple of us got together and started like a reading clinic. And the church let us use the uh, Sunday school area to have tutoring after school for, but focused mostly on literacy. And so that was the beginning of um, of my activism. But it was framed in the um, in the in churchy ideas, so it was considered like a ministry, right? That we were we were ministering to our community by having this reading clinic for for our peers, basically. So um, so again, that's what I mean about my experience of the black church as a hub of activism. So that's not something that is uh, it's not flashy. It's not, uh, it goes unnoticed. I'm sure that there are still churches with after-school literacy programs that um, that got started in that church because they, someone in that church recognized the need. But uh, from from there, the what started happening was that the elder brothers of my uh Church mates, my Sunday school peers, started dying in Vietnam, and the church was was in favor of the Vietnam War. They were saying it was your patriotic duty to be involved, and that's what got me out of the church and into the Black Panther Party because I could not personally see any reason that Black people should go from. Oakland to Vietnam to kill Vietnam for what? Right? Mm-hmm. Whereas we could yeah. walk down the street in East Oakland without being attacked on many instances by the police for walking home from church. I used to carry my Bible like I was in the in the land of vampires and <laughs> shake it at the police. Where are you going? Where are you coming from? I'm coming from Bible study. Here's my Bible. <laughs> Right, we had uh, when I was uh, a teenager, we had a policeman, a white policeman in East Oakland that used to um, basically kidnap teenagers, black teenagers, and rape them, and then mm. threaten to um, to lock them up if they told. And he was eventually caught, and he had done it like over twenty times. It was. It was something that still goes on, unfortunately. So back to the Vietnam War. By then, I'm in high school, and there are protests. This is the more um, obvious type of organizing. And and in my junior year, the first black, uh, student union got started at Castlemont High School in East Oakland, 
and I joined the Black Seat Union. And then and there were like two strains of thought in black activism. One was more the Black Panther Party model, and the other was more of a, a mixture of NAACP weight and James Brown, he used to have a thing called uh, Black and Tan or Black and Brown stamp. His thing was save money, build businesses, and there was a lot of that going on. Um, so there were these competing ideas within the uh, black community. And for the most part, they did not see they were in somewhat in opposition to one another. Um, because of the war, and because of the murder of Martin Luther King, I I went to the Black Panther Party and uh, to that frame of thought. And when I was a senior in high school, I became co-chair of the Black Panther Party. I mean, of the Black Student Union at Castlemont High School, and was recruited by the Black Panther Party out of high school because of. Um, the uh, the organizing that I had done at Calcamont, and so we did things like we uh, we protested the the Pledge of Allegiance and um, refused the Pledge of Allegiance, and we had even though we had a black uh, administration in that they were threatening to prevent the um, the seniors from graduating if they did not participate in the Pledge of Allegiance, didn't stand up and put their hand over their heart in the first period and recite the Pledge of Allegiance, which none of us actually believed that it was one nation Indianism. <laughs> Nobody believed that. Not even the not even the people demanding that we say that believe that. So so that uh that activism brought me to the attention of the Black Panther Party. And the uh, the thing about the Black Panther Party was that it was a there was a lot of scholarship in the Black Panther Party. We had uh, political education classes, and we learned a lot of uh, philosophy in terms of um, dialectical materialism and Marxism and um, socialism. The socialist the the ministry part of Christianity, where you serve others through your ministry. Socialism was very, uh, was not a, a foreign idea in the context of the black church, right? In my, in, the, in my life experience of the black church, socialism was not a big leap except for that it was um, atheistic. So, so I used to be known as like a closet Christian because <laughs> the party people knew that I would pray for them and they would <laughs> ask me to pray for them. But mm. for in terms of um, organizing, I worked mostly on, um, at the beginning, mostly on uh, community control and the police. And, mm. uh, and that's how I got to know other about, that's how I learned about the practical aspects of working in coalition and um, working to change laws because that was the other one of the other things about the Black Panther Party. We did a lot 
of uh, activity working to change the law, which meant that we had to first know the law. And that was very reminiscent for me of the NAACP because that's what they focused on, was changing the law. Now, changing the law, this is what we've been talking about, is a very boring and time-consuming activity. It's also very uh, necessary. So I'm really encouraged by the this generation of activists that have become city council members because when we were working on uh, community control of police, we would go to the city council meeting so that we could have uh, input as citizens into the way the laws change. But now we have people who understand that they have to be the ones to change the laws. So that's encouraging. That's that spiral going upward, right? Right. Yeah. Well, we're we're kind of out of time. So before you go, I wanted you to um, in maybe in the next few minutes, um, bring mm-hmm. us to um. The uh, Stolen Lives Project, and um, and then um, and then maybe I could have you on next Wednesday to continue our conversation about organizing. And hopefully, I'll be on time. <laughs> that would be That's fine. Okay. So, so <laughs> the, Stolen, the Stolen Lives Project was. Um, I wound up in New York City because I had a roommate that turned out to be a racist. He infected me with HIV. And while I'm uh, waiting, because I wanted, my idea was that I need to run away from this man, right? Because otherwise I'll kill him and I'll wind up back in his kitchen. So um, while I'm waiting to hear back from one of my aunties, I get a call from a sister in New York, Sophia Bukhari, who said, why am I thinking about you? What's happening with you? And I told her, and she said, well, come to New York and work with us. Amunia's campaign, so and and help us with the newspaper out here because we were all I knew people in New York and throughout the country because we had in uh, 1991 revived the Black Panther Black Community News Service and uh, and we had rotating um, editorship and production of the newspaper because we wanted to encourage people at that time to know that people were organizing throughout the country. We just didn't know about it and that the paper would be the vehicle for us to know what each other were doing and to uh, help free political prisoners. One of the former political prisoners, Attila Jindu, had uh, been working with a couple of different groups to... uh, talk about police brutality and and in that context to remember the people who had been killed by the police. And that became the Stolen Lines Project. And the funny story is like I said, tomorrow's my birthday, October twenty second. And October twenty second became the national day of protest as a result of organizing that happened in uh, New York. Attil had asked me to participate in that organizing because there was an argument amongst the organizers over what date they were going to have this protest. And that was in uh, uh, 
95 or that's 1995 or 1996. And so one side was advocating for it to be on Columbus Day. And Akil and I agreed with themselves that why would you piss off every Italian in New York? And the other date that was proposed was October 22nd. So, of course, I argued on behalf of October 22nd. And so (laughs) after the vote was taken... I fell out laughing, and everybody was like, why are you laughing? I said, because October 22nd is my birthday. It's also the birthday of the Black Panther Party. It's the birthday of Bobby Phil and a whole bunch of other activists. So that became an inside joke was that that October 22nd was the National Day of Protest in honor of my birthday. (laughs) It was not in honor of my birthday, but. It was a joke. So every year that I was in New York, that year and after that, they they brought me a chocolate cake and sang Happy Birthday. So so that that's the inside joke for October twenty second. But the fact that people are still getting filled at these rates in nineteen ninety six, we had fifteen hundred people in the Stolen Lives uh, book. So, so that's what I'm saying. There's one little bit of levity and a whole lot of tragedy involved in that story, you know. Right. But, um, yeah. I say to all of the uh, yeah. departed um, people, you know, who were killed by yeah. police, and and as I mentioned before, you came on uh, in Oakland at Oscar Grant Plaza. There's going to be um, a, a program um, uh, featuring. Um, Uncle Bobby, uh, Oscar Grant's mm-hmm. uh, uncle, because they are, um, you know, reopening that case. But, uh, yeah, it's called Resist and Remember, a National Day of Protest Against Police Abuse, Honoring the Lives of Oscar yeah, Grant and Those Who Have Been Lost in Police Terrorism. And it's 5 p.m. tomorrow. So, um, so people so who are doing those things. I, I asked so far they're not doing a virtual uh, aspect to the program. Um, oh. I asked for us, for you and me. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So so far, no, they, no is the answer. But who knows? Um, tomorrow has not come Maybe yet. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Some, so somebody Sheba, will just take out their uh, their phone and start recording the Facebook. And don't right. forget to wear yeah. black. Yeah. Wear black. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a website, uh, Stolen Lives Project. You can go online and and visit the website and and see how you can support the work that this organization is doing to lift up the names of those who have been killed by police as well as save lives. You know, it's not mm-hmm. about just mourning, it's about resisting and saving lives. So, Sheba, t- next week, um, mm-hmm. do I have you as an affirmative? We're going to have you on to continue the conversation. Maybe you might even bring a guest. Yes, you can I will ask, uh, right you can ask Sister Gail yes. if she's interested. <laughs> uh, yes. mm-hmm. All right. All right. That's cool. wonderful. I'll talk to you then, if not before sure. and between them. Okay. Oh, certainly, certainly. Thanks so much, yeah. Wanda. I appreciate it. I really appreciate your your activism as a, a radio host. That's wonderful. And uh, my oh, you're fine. Yes. Yeah, right, my uncle was special. You too. Yes. Happy yes. birthday. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. Good morning. Uh are you both um, together, um, Joe uh, and uh, Dimitri? Yes. Okay, cool, cool. Is Joe here? All righty. 
Oh, no, I thought you were on the same line. That, no, Joe is No, we're not on the same line. Okay, well, Joe hasn't joined us, but that's okay. You have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me um let me introduce you properly. I gave like the brief brief version um uh, at the beginning at the top of the hour, but we are joined by Dimitri Broxton. He is the senior curator of education at Museum of African Diaspora in San Francisco, California. He's an Oakland native, so he's probably calling us Smoketown. Um, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Okay, doke. Uh, Broxton has over 19 years of experience working in the field of education and the arts. At MOAD, he leads the education programs that enhance the visitor experience at the museum. And you didn't list any of the fabulous programs that you have put on. I mean, oh my gosh, you are just phenomenal. You know, gosh, you put on top notch. Oh my goodness, you really want to be in the space. You know, programs. You know that. Go on for like a whole weekend, it feels like, and uh, and hopefully, you know, they're archived somewhere so people can like, oh, I missed that, you know, and, and go watch what they missed, some of the presentations. Is that is that Precisely. happening? Oh, thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think you're talking about our, our symposium that we do in, in February, so Yes, yes this is last year we we fully live streamed it for the first time and um, uploaded everything to YouTube. Uh, but then we're also doing these weekly artist talks. So every Wednesday, um, we're, we're talking to different artists in their studio. So people can definitely um, log on and, and visit our website to um, see all the calendar events. We've been doing so much more since the mm-hmm. pandemic started and we've been sheltering in place. <laughs> I think we've, we've tripled or quadrupled the number of programs we presented. So it's, it's been fun and exciting and um, a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the artist talk today, you know, give a plug so that people can tune in yeah, online. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm really excited that today at one o'clock PM, um, I'll be in conversation with Sophia Yamisi, Adeyemo Ross. Uh, she is a young emerging artist um, at Rhode Island School of Design right now. But she, two years ago, um, she served as Moad summer intern. So it's a, it's a nice, you know, full circle coming back uh, around and, and checking in with her to see what she's been up to. And um, I'm going to call it now. And, you know, I, I, I believe that she is an artist that as soon as she graduates <laughs> at the end of, of this school year, uh, her art career is going to significantly take off. I don't think a lot of mm-hmm. people know about her work because she's a student at Rhode Island School of Design. But, you know, she, she has a lot of contacts in the art world. And I'm going to call it now. As soon as she graduates, she's going to be everywhere. Uh, so, so it's exciting to get someone right, yeah, right on the rise to their precipice. Um, mm-hmm. Such a such a talented young artist and such such a wonderful person. On top of that, mm, nice, nice. Well, great, great. One o'clock. And so, how do people get there? Um, you know, give them the website. Yeah, yeah. So if they visit uh, org and click on the calendar link at the top of the page. Um, you know, I, I like when people join us on Zoom because, you know, just like you and I are doing right now, they can ask questions, they can engage. Um, but we also stream on Facebook. So, you know, um, 
if you're want to casually listen and you don't necessarily want to uh, participate directly and ask questions with the artist, you can also just casually listen on Facebook. Um, and then we archive everything on our YouTube channel. So folks can go back. We've been doing this since April. Uh, and it's, it's, it's hard to believe that we've done, where, where are we at, like about 30 programs now <laughs> of this because mm-hmm. we've done one each week. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but it, it's, it's just great. The number of artists, it's a lot of local Bay Area artists um, as well as, you know, nationally and internationally recognized artists like Beast of Butler. Um, so yeah, the, 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 it's, 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 a, it's a nice mix. You never know what you're going to get. And some of the artists uh, are performance-based artists. Some of them, <laughs> some of them are, are traditional 2D artists. Um, and some of them are, you know, really dealing with concepts that a lot of people are not familiar with. And, and kind of the nice thing is, you know, uh, Wanda, I'm also an artist. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we're, we're not, we're not talking about art within the, you know, the context of art history and complicated movements. We're talking in a way that <laughs> our goal is really to have conversations that anyone can understand the art and anyone can participate. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. And um, your, your department's mission is to connect youth, educators, and the public to the historical, culture, and intellectual contributions of the worldwide African diaspora, and that includes people that we don't see, um, those that are incarcerated. And outside of your role at MOAD, um, you're an independent curator, and as you already mentioned, a practicing artist. Uh, you served as curator for the city of Berkeley um, for seven years. Um, your tenure, I guess, is ending this year. Um, and your artwork is represented by Patricia uh, Squito Gallery in San Francisco, and you hold an MA in Museum Studies from San Francisco State University, uh, and you were, I guess that's 10 years ago, wow, 10 years, and a BFA <laughs> UC Berkeley Art Practice, and that is even longer ago. Uh, that's 18 years, like, whoa, you've been doing this for a minute. <laughs> thanks, so, for, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> oh, that's okay. You know, uh, you've been doing your homework. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. and you know th- this this exhibition is is really also timely. I just uh, participated in an auction um mm-hmm. that Critical Resistance produced that just yeah. ended a week ago. And and it was mm-hmm. a very similar um mission is to end the prison industrial complex as we know it. Um and you know the the project that we have at Moad on view right now the digital exhibition, Meet Us Quickly, Painting for Justice from Prison, um, you know, the, the, the works that Critical Resistance um, per, or, or included within their auction were works that, um, for artists like me who are not um, incarcerated, who want to see an end to the prison industrial complex, this exhibition that we have, the digital exhibition at MOAD, Meet Us Quickly, actually takes um, the majority of the artists are currently incarcerated at San Quentin. A few of them are, are have been released, um, but you know it's it's a very different view to see the humanity of the artists through their work to understand them. And you know the the title "Meet Us Quickly" is really just like meet us, so you can understand this really critical issue um, that that's going on in our own backyard of, of people who are are serving, you know 
decades and decades of their lives in prison for this one moment where they, they made a bad decision, they were caught in, in the wrong moment, um, and you know, this has kind of become their reality. And a lot of us who are not incarcerated, who don't really take the time to do the work to think about that these are actual human beings, they have one moment that has come to define the last, you know, in some cases, one of the artists has been in prison for 42 years. Um, mm. the, you know, two, thir- two thirds of his life, he's been in bars. And, you know, his work is actually the title image, um, Gary Harrell. And, you know, we see him playing a harmonica and, you know, and sitting under the sun and having sun rays come onto him and music notes flying all around him. And, you know, it's a really, it's a call to see the humanity of these human beings that, that are, um, we have locked up in cages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us about how how this particular ex- exhibition um, happened. There is a collaboration among, you know, Moad with with Joe, who is not with us presently. I'm gonna see if I can text her <laughs> while while you speak. And um, a reminder, like Joe, hey. But I, I know she has a a son, and you know, who knows what might be going on in in, in COVID nineteen days. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, but tell us about um, you know the curator um, Rasan uh, New York Thomas, whom I've met on on visits to uh, to San Quentin for you know to see Shakespeare at San Quentin, um, you know to rehearse, um, uh, you know with the side by side performances and and then you know because he's um, you know a journalist. Uh, I think I've even been interviewed by him <laughs> when I wow, was there. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I know his work. Um, and then he's, um, you know, the award-winning uh, Emmy-nominated, um, I guess, uh, director of, of Ear Hustle, that, you know, that radio show that I think KALW um, broadcast. Um, in collaboration with the journalists at at San Quentin and I think elsewhere, other other prisons um, in in California, but uh, yeah, tell us tell us how this came about and and so the, the idea of being proximate when when I read that I'm like, you know that's Brian <laughs> he, he talks about being proximate he talks about being broken exactly <laughs> exactly and then I'm reading the essay. You know, Rasan's as I'm like, okay, yeah, here we go. Yeah, we're I'm on the right page here. <laughs> yeah, you 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 definitely you definitely have it. So yeah, I mean, I think you you gave a really great introduction to Rasan uh, New York Thomas, um, who as you mentioned, co-hosts and co-produces the Pulitzer Prize nominated podcast Ear Hustle. Um, and so yeah, I I just became familiar with that podcast. It's fascinating um, to <laughs> to be able to hear stories of folks, you know, in prison and formerly incarcerated and just kind of, you know, that, that, that the term ear hustle, things that they heard <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, that they're, they're highlighting through the podcast. Um, he, he's also a contributing writer for the Marshall Project and also San Quentin News. Um, and he's a Brooklyn, New York native who is currently incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison, um, and he does so much. He also chairs the chapter of the Northern California Society of Professional Journalists, and um, he's also the, he co-founded Prison Renaissance as well. Um, so it's, it's really great to have him as 
the co or the curator for this exhibition um, because you know again we've got a firsthand account um, and 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 someone who's who has the lived experience of the prisoners um, and this project really came around um, you know Joe Kreider is actually the one who initiated this project and approached Moad I want to say it was two years ago um, mm. yeah it was, it was about two years ago um, and this is actually part two of uh, her decarceration trilogy, Meet Us Quickly with Your Mercy. Oh. And um, yeah, yeah. So, so she actually approached Elizabeth Gessel, our director of public programs. And Elizabeth knew pretty quickly that this was a project that uh, Moad needed to be engaged in. Um, the, the issue of mass incarceration of Black people in America um, has really been part of Moad's discussion ever since Michelle Alexander published the new Jim Crow in 2010. Um, and we've always wanted to have Michelle Alexander at Moad and we're hoping it, it could happen. So maybe, you know, this, this will get to her. <laughs> we would love to, to do more programs with her. Um, but, you know, um, we, as, as the years have gone on, you know, Wanda, you're, you're familiar that Moad shifted. We were more of a history-based museum when, when the museum first opened in 2005. Um, and there was art included in exhibitions throughout our history. Um, but since 2014, we have rebranded ourselves as a contemporary art museum. And as a contemporary art museum, you know, you're not only showing works that, that were created, you know, in the last 50 years by artists and mostly living artists, but, you know, conversations are um, sparked by the work that we have on view in the exhibition. So talking about the prison industrial system, which disproportionately, you know, as we all know, affects uh, black and brown communities, um, you know, it, it became this, this topic that we had to contend with. Um, and so really having this exhibition is, is comes at a critical time, you know, especially now, you know, we've got the election going on. There's, there's, a, there's a few um, things, you know, there's a few measures that folks are, are voting on that directly connects to prison and prison reform. Um, and, and really like, as Michelle Alexander says um, in her book, mass incarceration has become the civil rights challenge of our time. Um, and so, yeah, it's a really timely exhibition for us. Yeah, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, some of the artists. I, um, I'm not certain. I don't remember exactly how many there are, but maybe you can tell us some of the stories of some of the artists because uh, contributors are not all incarcerated anymore. Um, actually, no. um, one of the artists, or maybe more than one of the artists. Uh, Banks, you know, he's out and he uh, he's a new father, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, so tell us tell us who is exhibiting and, and the names of some of the pieces and you know where they painted or 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 made for this particular exhibition or um, like is it new work or is it something that a person had in in their um, uh, in their portfolio and they just you know shared it and is it for sale? Oh, yeah, yeah, great, great question. Yeah, I mean, the, the artists all have different stories. And, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know every single person's story. So I can, you know, kind of go through and highlight a few of them. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, if, if, if that's helpful. So, so I kind of talked yeah. at the very beginning of this about mm-hmm. Gary um, Harrell's piece. Um, Gary Harrell plays the blues. Uh, and, you know, he's been incarcerated for 42 years and counting at this point. And the, the piece that he donated is a, a wood black print, um, or sorry, a linoleum black print um, that he actually made in 2019. And it's actually an addition, it's an addition works, but um, what we have on view is um, print number one out of the 10 that, that he's made. And like I said at the beginning, he's been in prison for 42 years. Um, he's 62 years here, or he's 64 years old. So, you know, two thirds of his life, he's, he's been in prison and, um, you know, he, he, he really has seen art as an escape from being behind the walls and also as a, as a tool for people to really understand him as a human being and other prisoners as, you know, human beings who, who are more complicated than just that, again, that, that one action that led them to be in prison. It's, it's a beautiful piece. Um, it's actually the cover image for the exhibition that we have at Moad. Um, I'm like I'm trying to trying to go through. I think also an, an artist maybe, that maybe, I wait, uh, wait a second, uh, Dimitri. Maybe because you know we're radio, you could describe it a little bit so people could know what it looks like. Oh sure, yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, so yeah, the the piece is is a self portrait of Gary uh, playing the harmonica, and you know he's he's got jewelry, he's got chains on, um, and he's standing in the sunlight. So the sunlight is, is brushing against his um, back and his shoulders. And, you know, he's got music. Uh, he's surrounded by music. So he's literally got uh, music uh, symbols and signs um, kind of uh, floating around his body. And it's just, it's just a very, it's a, it's a very warm and an inviting image, I would say. Um, it's, it's, it's beautiful. And again, it's the, it's the cover image for the exhibition. Um, yeah, which you can see like, if you visit. It looks like it's, it's like raining um, sort of uh, harmonicas too, right? <laughs> it's raining harmonicas. I love the way that you put it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, I, there there's some pieces in the exhibition that are just stunning and, and arresting. Um and for for me, you know, I think La Mavis is. Are you able to see that as well, Wanda? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, La, La Mavis, mm-hmm. Como Duila. Uh, so so there's a piece called Mystery Found Its Harmony, um, and it's an acrylic on canvas board painting, and it's just a beautiful woman who is staring back at us through the the image, but she's her body is embellished, so she's got. I don't know. It's almost it's almost as if um, he he's influenced by, you know, the the Sahara um, or you know, like Northern Africa and and in the embellishments that people do, the adornments that they do with their bodies. There's also kind of touches of the Middle East and India, but the way that he beautifully captures this person who is looking back at us, you know, in her full power and you know, unashamed beauty is just, I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Um, yeah. Is and, that the one you know, he, he, he found his harmony? Which, which one is it? 
Um, yes, yes, Mystery Found oh. Its Harmony. Isn't that, isn't yeah, that a is gorgeous beautiful. image? Yes, um, it is. And it is. she's adorned. She's got, she's got her earrings on, but it's just, you know, it's just this very beautiful image. And it may not, you know, and not the, I think for me also, it's, it's not necessarily what you would imagine, you know, someone who's incarcerated um, painting. Um, but of course, they're thinking about beautiful women. They're thinking about um, they're thinking about freedom. They're thinking about humanity, um, and I think, you know, I, I I think for me this image really just shows the potential for art to change a person's life and to change their perspective. And then also as a viewer, it 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 makes me see what what he sees as an artist. And and I think that's one of the most important pieces of this exhibition, is is that we're quickly seeing the humanity of these men and we're seeing them much beyond, you know, the, 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 their, their prison cell, whatever um, they've been convicted of. And we see, we see hope and we also see um, their, their aspirations within this. Mm -hmm. And um, La Mavis also, I, I love that he says that uh, he was encouraged by his parents um, so back in 2018 is when he started to is when he started to paint. His parents encouraged him to take art classes um, and to start drawing, and you know, as as a tool to be able to express himself. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to share a little bit um, from uh, Rasan, the curator's. Um, an essay. It's a beautiful essay, and you can read the short version, or you can read the whole long version. And I encourage people to read the whole essay <laughs> um, because it's it's really really um, it's a wonderful um, observation about about life and and about you know sort of redemption and forgiveness and getting um, you know what is rehabilitation if you can never try it over, right? Like if you don't get a chance to try it again. Um, and exactly. then he also talks about, um, you know, sort of, um, I think, meeting or hearing, um, you know, Brian Stevenson, whom we've spoken about. Brian Stevenson is a, a man, the man that's devoted his life to justice. Um, but he um, he is the uh, founder of the um, EJI, the Equal Justice Institute in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where there is the... Uh, uh, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice and the Legacy Museum from Slavery to Mass Incarceration. And he, he puts the two proximate with each other, you know, like a slavery really mm -hmm. didn't end. You know, it just became mass incarceration or incarceration. Um, but uh, and then Rasan, he also writes about how um, he uh, participated in the um, the current um, proposition that's on the ballot about restoring the vote to people that, have been released from prison but have to wait years and years and years because of probation to be able to vote again. So that's Prop 17, and you should vote yes on it. Mm -hmm. I am connected to a nonprofit. I can say that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and vote no on 20. Uh, it's not about mm -hmm. money bail. It's about changing misdemeanors to felonies. It's messed up. Don't vote yes on 20. Vote no. Um, but anyway, back to Rasan. He says, uh, and I'm reading from the first couple of paragraphs of his essay, um, according to the laws of physics, everything that occupies space is matter, but when you're serving a life sentence, it feels like you defy physics. You occupy a cell but don't matter to society. 
framed for your worst moment. You're left out of the conversations about solutions to mass incarceration. The system continues its removal of individuals without addressing the root causes of crime. Generation after generation face the same systemic issues, landing father and son in the same prison cell. From the scars on your body, you've learned so much that would help stop the tide of bodies flooding into the cesspool. You've had the epiphany moment, change your whole belief system, and embark on a journey of change. As a new man, you experience your sheets, your street, and textbook education. Your passion and sincerity make you an asset to society more valuable than gold. Yet, you get left out unmined because society doesn't, because society isn't close enough to hear or see your difference. They still remember the newspaper mugshot photo ran the day you shattered communities. Mm. Yeah, and this goes on, but it's. Yeah, yeah, um I'm really always really um really happy to see um exhibits and conversations that um help us be more inclusive in our discourse. Exactly. You know, everybody matters, exactly. right? I mean, even the ones that mm-hmm. even the bodies that don't matter, like are not a part of the matter, you know, that that we yeah. occupy, you know, like the matter we're swimming in because we don't see people that are incarcerated. The prisons are no longer, you know, in the same neighborhoods that we are living in. You have to drive far, far away sometimes um, to see them. That's why San Quentin is such a um, such a different kind of institution because it's right there. You see it. It's like a landmark. You can't miss it. Exactly. <laughs> it's like exactly. Alcatraz, and it's- you know, is a landmark. and. <laughs> And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's, you know, and it always trips me out how it's in Marin, you know, and it's in, it's in mm-hmm. this beautiful, yeah. you know, rather wealthy community and, you know, <laughs> rather, <it laughs> o- overlooking wealthy. some prime real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Prime real estate. They, I mean, if the men could see, you know, the view. Um, mm-hmm, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How how long is the virtual exhibit up? And is the art art uh, available? Is it is it for sale? Yeah, that, that thank you. You always do all of your homework, and I love it. Um, so yeah, so the exhibition is up through January, and um, after it goes down, Prison Renaissance is going to be organizing an art auction of all of the works that are on view. Um, and so when folks go to MOAD's website, there, there's a slider. So when you when you first log on to the website, you'll see the images that slide across, the, the rather, rather large tiles that slide across. The very first one is the um, Meet Us Quickly one. And when you look through the work, you'll see a, a link that you can go and sign into a Google Doc to let Prison Renaissance know that you're interested and um, the auction. And so once they have the details um, all together, then you'll be able to get the, an email that, that lets you know um, how you can register to actually uh, bid on some of these pieces. And, you know, Wanda, I, I honestly i am signing up, up right now because some of them are just so beautiful. And, yes, they are. Um, yeah, I mean, I think when people log on and they see these, you know, 
you will hopefully be pleasantly surprised at just how beautiful everything is and, you know, you'll want to own some of these pieces. And also, you know, um, support the artists themselves because the money will go back to the artists. And, you know, I, I do want to point out that uh, MOAD pay, pays all of our artists that we exhibit. So every single artist receives an honorarium. Um, and and it, it's our way of appreciating them, um, you know, putting value to the time um, that they take to put into their work, to, to that loan, you know, to be able to loan it to us and to have other people see it. All of the artists that were included in this exhibition got the same exact um, honorarium that any other artist that we work with would get, um, you know, and, and it's really because we really, we, we, we didn't have to do that, obviously. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, even with the, the prison system right now, it's not really set up to um, pay um, prisoners at the same rate that you would pay someone who is, who is out. But we thought it was really important that they got the exactly the same pay um, so that they could have money on their books or they could send money home to family um, or, or, you know, whatever they need to really pay them for their, their, um, their labor and sharing right. their talents with us. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, maybe we can have Joe on um, at another point since the exhibit is going through January. Um, but, uh, yeah, my, my next guest, she's uh, joining us from uh, from Atlanta, Georgia, to talk about oh, wow. African Sustainable um, Virtual Conference this weekend. It's their fifth annual. Um, so, I'll, you know, I think I sent you information about that. Um, yeah. You did, and I'm looking forward to yeah. it. <laughs> right, right, yeah, but it's we, you know, we don't get a chance to talk enough, uh, Dimitri. So we'll definitely have to do this again um, to talk we more do. about the art, and maybe we can get you know, maybe we can get a couple of the artists that are you know with us now, you know, in the free world, as they say, um, and when they can vote, they will really be free. Um, we got to pass exactly. seventeen. Uh, yeah, because art is just phenomenal. I mean, such beautiful. Um, you know, some of it's figurative, a lot of it's. Um, uh, you know, representational, and there's if people like black art, like this is the place to go shopping. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. It really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to have some of these images on your wall, particularly if you have children. Oh man, how affirming, right? Um, some of mm-hmm. these pieces would be um, really beautiful. You know, women. You know, mother civilization. Some of the titles, pyramids. Um, I mean, it's a beautiful elephant, uh, and gentle giants, and then I love um, uh, which one is? I keep on going a little too fast. Let's see. Uh, oh, the queen, love that one. That's beautiful, and uh, re- and then um, the one that's right, other one, uh, uh, my sister's keeper, and then sister, you know, mm-hmm. the twins. That's nice. Yes, that's yes, nice. yes, yeah. They are. They're yeah, some then, gorgeous, gorgeous pieces. Yeah, and after the fall, it's really nice. And then I thought just the idea that somebody did something for Ruth, um, you know, Bader uh, Ginsburg. I thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know, sitting in her, in her yeah, class, that, course, right? <laughs> yeah, that one is absolutely gorgeous. And I, and I also love how he says, you know, he is her most unlikely fan. <laughs> um, right? But, but, you know, at the same time, you know, she, as a Supreme Court justice, also has the the power or she did you know have the power or all the supreme court justices have the power to change the lives of prisoners and so you know i think 
I, I think he was on to something with, with painting that image. And that was definitely, right. that was before she passed also. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's a great honoring person, you know, before she passed. And then it was just perfect, you know, to be able to have it, you know, in this exhibition. But I have to get to my next guest. It's been really lovely. It's always great talking to you, Wanda. Thank you so much. Wonderful this afternoon, Dimitri, you know, with that wonderful artist, um, let's see, uh, Sophia, right? Yeah, Sophia. I'll I'll send you the details. <laughs> okay. All righty. <laughs> okay, Wanda. Take care. Take care. Have a beautiful day. Thank okay. you. Too. Blessings. Peace and blessings. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Oh, thank you so much for hanging in there, Sister Fia Raina Turner Greenlee. To talk to us about the fifth annual Virtual Black Sustainability Summit. How are you? I am well. I am well. I'm giving thanks. How are you doing? Oh, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm. Thank you so much for rearranging your schedule because it is twelve there. It's afternoon, and you got a little one. <laughs> and I don't know. It's so quiet there. Like you must have got a babysitter or something. <laughs> yeah, my mom. Yes, my mother. <laughs> oh, oh, how lovely! So, are you um, are you a southerner? Like, are you born in the south? I mean, is that is that where your roots are? Yes, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my father's from a little, a little country town uh, headed toward Augusta, Georgia, and my mom was uh, born and raised in Atlanta. So I'm Georgia, Georgia, mm-hmm. all Georgia Peach. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah. And um, I would love to read your long um, bio, but I'm going to read your short one, and you can fill in, um, you know, anything that from the other longer one you know, that you want to, to bring forward. But I really want you to talk about this conference, which this is the fifth one, and it's the first time I've heard of them. So I'm happy that you presented at the um, uh, the Pan-African, no, what is it, the Pan-African? Um, trying to think, what was the name of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell me the name of the conference, because I'm, like, drawing the blank right now. <laughs> Oh, no, you're perfectly fine. You're perfectly fine. Um, yeah, it was a pleasure to and an honor to speak at the Pan-African Federalist Movement um, Conference um, this past week. And this this weekend, we are hosting our fifth annual Black Sustainability Summit, um, sometimes uh, spoken of as the African Sustainability Summit. We know that we're all at various stages of healing of how we identify and see ourselves. So we have a duality in the name, but largely it's the Black Sustainability Summit, um, mm-hmm. and we've been doing this work for five years now. It's so interesting that you share it. You know, this is the first time that you've heard of it. Uh, the past four years, it's been free. <laughs> we've offered it for free, and this year that we're charging, people are hearing about it. So it's it's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> I'm like, oh, y'all didn't even better when it was. Well, we had about two thousand folks our first year with no promo, no nothing. Um, but it was all free. Two thousand. So. Wow. 2,000 people were searching online. We had no flyers. We had nothing. I had just figured out how to build a website, and mm. um, I built it and put some tags on there and, you know, have a background in marketing and international business. So that mm-hmm. helped a little bit with it, but just the search engine <laughs> optimization was so crucial. People are searching for that information, and, yeah. hmm Yeah, and, you know, it was just so wonderful having you present on, what was it, the fourth day you know, of the conference, the conference started on the 15th. One of the notes I put in, in the chat was like, you know, we need to, like, have the folks that presented on the 
fourth day to be earlier in the conference because you know there are things you know people that you know you and your uh and your colleagues were talking about um you know presenters mm-hmm. that you know like this is happening this weekend and yeah i mean like people were definitely presenting and sharing work that they're active in presently which is really wonderful and then like you know our sister who is you know relocating to um I think to East Africa, um, yes, I think as we speak, yes. and I'm like, whoa, that's nice. <laughs> she's not going, she's gone, right? I'm like, that's the way you do it. <laughs> and then the and then the uh, the youth that are you know in in Canada, they were really phenomenal, you know, and you know the uh, the younger than most of the folks you know that were there at the conference, but not by any any stretch of the imagination. Um, youth like yourself you know are doing such great work and i just loved you know how you talked about you know what does it mean to be sustainable you know and and you think about not just the planet you think about our presence on this planet you know people of african descent yeah and so you are a a staunch proponent of employing sustainable solutions to human challenges by emulating nature's time-tested patterns and strategies uh, you have your own consulting firm, Sustainable Community Solutions, where indigenous wisdom informs each custom solution for clients. Additionally, you organize this annual Black Sustainability Summit um, that we're talking about presently, um, which manages a diverse global network of 2,000-plus individuals and organizations dedicated to sustainable community development in communities across the African diaspora. And you served most recently as project manager for um, – H A B E S H A. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Habasha. Habasha Inc.'s uh, Urban mm-hmm. Green Jobs Workforce Development. Uh, your passion for creating healthy, sustainable communities locally and abroad shifted your career focus from merely advertising the issues to engaging in global research for local solution generation, relationship development, and increasing self sufficiency for people of African descent. Um, you continue. Uh, to serve our global community, formerly uh, uh, serving on the board of African Unity Initiative, an African diaspora nation, formerly sat uh, as an elected member of Unity Council's African Community Center for Unity and Self-Determination, and you're a lifelong member of the John Hendrick Clark Historical Society. That sounds fun. Um, how do you Ooh. become a member of that society? <laughs> <laughs> I look and I'm like, did I send her the short bio or <laughs> the long one? My goodness, yes. Um, oh no, can, I'm not even finished. But we're gonna stop. But no, I'm finished. But I, before, <laughs> but before, I, before you tell us how to become a member of the John Hendrick Clark uh, Society, that sounds really awesome. Yes. Um, I want to keep on reading this because it's really nice, and this is your short version. It is your sincere mm-hmm. desire that Africans, with a K, create a sustainable future for us and our families by decreasing our dependence on others through self-actualization and sufficiency. This includes economic development, cooperative work, and intentional reinvestment in each other. This cannot be achieved if we fail to value and recognize African culture prior to colonialism as our common thread and the need to restore Ma'at to the planet. So, welcome. Okay, okay. It is an honor and pleasure to be here. I just thank you and the invitation. That was a lot. (laughs) So, So how does one become a member 
of the John Henry Clark Historical Society. Maybe you could, like, tell us who he is, who he was, and why it's such an honor to be a part of this historical society. And, yeah, tell us how to do that. (laughs) Well, John Henry Clark uh, was a historian. Uh, He focused on African-American and Pan-African studies. Um, I think he was mostly known kind of like starting up in the 1960s. But a lot of the the elders whom I have been working with, they – they, they studied with him and learned from him, and a lot of the knowledge and wisdom he has around how we should move as a people, how we educate ourselves, how we can move forward, a lot of the gems and wisdom that people are just now starting to uncover for themselves, he has written about it. He's a scholar um, and is now transitioned. Um, but Mama Marimba Ani and Baba Kweku and, and Longo and all of these uh, magnificent people have really continuously referenced his works. And so when I was coming into knowledge of self, I ended up joining that group, uh, the John Henry Clark Historical Society. They now have online uh, opportunities for folks that want to join that are of like minds. And I'll, I'll make sure to get you the information. There is no website. It's really, you know, a collective of the willing and serious people. So there's a vetting that goes there. Um, but I, I genuinely do enjoy learning with them. Each It's always something new. Uh, and it's a great discussion of like-minded um, people of African descent that talk about, okay, these are some of his works. How do we apply this to present day? Um, so I'm, I'm grateful that it's there and um, to share that with you all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So tell us how, how you know, this wonderful conference came to be and, and how that furthers, you know, the concept of Ma'at. Yes, well... <laughs> Initially starting, so we'll we'll go through the whole cycle, right? Everything is cyclical. Um, initially, I was looking for like-minded, like-minded people, and I consistently got pointed in the direction of an elder, Mama Nobantu Ankawanda, originally mm. from California. Uh, yes. Palo Alto, Oakland born. Palo Alto. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> and, and coming forward to Atlanta, she's been here. And everyone, oh, you're into sustainability, you're into, you know, holistic health, you need to talk to her. She's, she's been doing some things. And so I linked with her, and there was a, a smaller group um, of elders that were really committed to, okay, we want to we wanna invite some of the people that we know to come together in Atlanta and have a conference. You know, can you help pull this on? Well, as we know, life happens. People continue to move and have competing priorities. And it ended up being myself and Mama Nobantu at the end. We <laughs> were still willing to pull this this off. And she said, you know, one, I trust you. I trust you to help me make this happen. And she called two other elders, uh, Nana Siti Opio, who ended up being my midwife <laughs> um, mm. for my home birth uh, very recently. And uh, mm-hmm. she called another Mama, uh, Mama Atiba. And together, these elder mamas and myself, uh, were able to put on the first Black Sustainability Summit. And they trusted me to take it to where it needed to be. They were like, we want to do it in person. I suggested we do it online just so we could expo- expose more people to it. And they said, we'll build it and we'll show up. And they sent me all the names of people that we needed. They called folks. They participated. And we put mm-hmm. it we put it together and executed it over five days for free uh, and archived all of the presentations for view for viewing after the event. And for the, I guess the, the following years, we did the same thing. Uh, it it still remained Mama Mama Nobantu and myself as a consistent um, 
co-creators and co-organizers of this. And now we have my sister Yema Brewer up in Minnesota, um, my Liberian Sierra Leonean sister who is just my my comrade. I love her and give thanks to her. She continues to help uh, this work continue. But we have been reaching out to presenters from around the globe. We have folks from Rwanda, from South Africa, uh, the Gambia, uh, Ghana, um, Colombia, the Palenques, the Palenqueros, the first maroon mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. ever. Uh, they'll be presenting. Yeah. We have translators on site. We have folks from Mali. I mean, we and, and then, of course, you know, here in North America and some in the U.K. So we have a lot of presenters that are going to be talking about the need for us to be self-sufficient as a people. What can we do? What practical steps can we take? And it's not just sustainability from a sense of, I love the planet. I want to hug a tree. That's oftentimes what people, you know, break it down to. This is nothing new for us as a people. Resiliency, self-sufficiency, how we're going to sustain ourselves, how we consider our youth moving forward um, for seven generations and the impacts that we have. All of these topics are covered, our health, our wellness, our economics, you know, alternative energy. How do you get off the grid if you want to? How do you repatriate if you want to, just like the sister who's left? There's so many who will be joining us to present on, I left, I repatriated, I developed a program to help build a bridge, and I've designed a community that you can come and visit. So we'll be really championing uh, the work that they've done as well. Um, I think that's on Sunday. So you'll learn all these skills. It's workshop style. You'll hear some lectures. It's very much so open for you to ask questions. Unmute your microphones. It's not your typical Zoom meeting, we have a platform for greater engagement. So I know I've said a lot, <laughs> but I would encourage people to visit our website, BlackSustainabilitySummit.com, um, and look at our schedule and see the lineup and get your tickets before. We have to close them on Thursday. <laughs> so. Um, oh, oh, tomorrow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, we're gonna, we're <laughs> oh, gonna this is really, <laughs> oh, my. Wow. Okay. Friday we start. We we might keep it open until Friday morning, but we want to make sure people are in and we're not having to take our energy off mm-hmm. of the summit to go back and look at tickets. So we want to encourage people to get their tickets mm-hmm. today. We'll hold it open Friday Friday morning. I, I heard I heard your voice. Okay, we'll hold it open Friday morning. Uh, but we want everybody to get their tickets as soon as possible because we start Friday, Saturday, and then mm-hmm. Sunday is our last day. What what time does it start on, on Friday? It starts at 12 o'clock on Friday. We're going to open up. Um, we're just going to open up the, the platform for people to come in at 12. Mm-hmm. They can get on there, figure out all of what they need to do, find their bearings, and then we will start officially with libation, prayer, and ancestral reverence at 1230. So if you can get there between 12 and 1230, this is Eastern time, Eastern time. Yeah, 9 and 930 um, um, Pacific yeah. time. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, that's that's that not so bad. Happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I know seven o'clock in the morning for the, uh, um, you know, the uh, the, the Pan African um, Federalist oh, yeah. um, <laughs> Conference. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I could not make that one. I did not make that one. <laughs> um, yeah, but but accessible. <laughs> right, right, and and I noticed that you know you're. Um, you know, you're doing, um, you know, opening. You and uh, Sister Yema Brewer are are opening, and uh, and you know, you begin with uh, libations and prayers and ancestor ancestral reverence. So it's going to be really simple, similar, I, I presume. You know, insofar as because one thing about the um, 
the Pan-African uh, Federalist um, uh, Conference for nor- the Northern California, I mean, Northern um, region, uh, the U.S. and Canada, uh, it was it was so interactive. I mean, we were actually working, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is like, and, I, and at the end of the fifth day, I felt tired because we had been really, you know, doing a lot of planning and thinking about the concepts and what we want to see happen and vetting it and then coming back to plenary and seeing what was, you know, took place, you know, throughout you know, the various uh, breakouts, you know, where people are looking at other questions. And then to hear the, you know, the summary, you know, the the, the fast summary, you know, looking, you know, knowing that it's going to get even more fine-tuned as, you know, as the weeks progress, you know, and the person who did the um, the fast summary is able to, like, pull notes from everybody. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, you have a similar kind of setup. So, from the past years, I know you said that it's available that people can watch it. But do you have any kind of document documents that you're pulling together? You know, some kind of written documents around this concept. Uh, I would love to have had the time to be able to do that. Um, this is 100% volunteer based. Um, mm-hmm. Each year, we put our funds and time and energy on this, in addition to our our work that we do for a living. Um, and now, both Yaman have the decision that. Starting this year, we're going to step back from the summit um, and do a lot more planning so that we can have those documents. The research will be available in written form because a lot of it is, most of it is um, in video form and format. Um, because what we're doing, to your to your point, is very complementary to the Pan African movement, especially for uh, North America. I would say mm-hmm. um, is we're not just coming together to talk about those issues. When you come in you actually are going to learn. So when you leave from our, our each one of our sessions, you should have gained a new skill. You should know how to do mm-hmm. something different than when you came in. So we'll talk about some of the challenges, and then we will present the solutions and walk you through how you can apply it in your daily life. Um, it would be great to get some support uh, from folks who would like to write this down and um, help us to uh, transcribe a lot of the, the sessions that we have. We have over 100 I think it's 111 currently workshops that have been recorded and archived on our site that are available each year after our summit closes. Um, mm-hmm. It would be great to just take take a moment to comb through it. We've talked about having um, subscription boxes that get sent out that have that information to teach a new skill, and we utilize that information um, as a part of a curriculum that gets done. We just haven't had the time. Uh, and now we have to step away from what, what we do currently to bring in money and, and shift gears. And so we know that's going to require a lot of support from folks. We're asking people to purchase tickets to help us with the cost this year because everybody's been price gouging on these platforms. Um, but, yes, yeah, we would love to. But the answer to your question currently is no, we do not have anything right now um, of, of substance that's written. We have some some documents that we can provide, but nothing of substance. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's great that you've been documenting it. So, you know, I'm sure you can probably get some graduate students to get, you know, connect with, um, you know, some teacher and teachers in certain departments in some of those historic black colleges and universities down there by you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, and we, it could be a, it could be a project. I hope, I hope now they'll, they'll be able to, to respond and provide that support because they've mentioned they want to support. It's just the, the 
process of actually getting it done. Uh, so I'm gonna oh I'm gonna hit them back up. This is a great reminder. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I can just see, you know, because, you know, there's land there. You know, we talk about, you know, sort of um, how how land, you know, it really, really kind of like having land gives you place, right? Um, and if you don't have land, you know, having property kind of gives you place because then you think, well, I belong here. But when I think about the South and, and I think about my family and other families, you know, that have been moved off the land, that that, you know, having that land base, you know, gives us, you know, a certain kind of um, ground, grounding, yes. you know, and grounding, grounding is really important because then you like, like trees, you know, you, you can put roots down and, and, and you feel a little more sturdy than if, you know, you rent <laughs> or, you know, you're living on somebody else's. I mean, it's not like, you know, you're not paying rent, but the government come in and just move you away you know, on a whim. Right. And, I mean, they can Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, you go ahead. I was going to say, yes, they they can still do that, even when you pay a mortgage, you know. That's true. (laughs) That's true. Or you Mm -hmm. miss paying your taxes, whether you own that home or not, they can still do it. And so what does does self-sufficiency really look like? If you're going to go off grid, uh, have you purchased the land? Do you know the steps that you need to take? Um, pitfalls that we get into, we ha- we're going to have presentations around land trust. Uh, what are some alternative mm-hmm. methods that we typically don't even think about? Yes, we can go in and we can purchase land to your point to have that greater sense of security than just renting, but then what's the next step to make sure that the next generation can continue to live on that land or continue to benefit from the decisions that we made and they don't lose it? Um, or land that's been passed down for generations, you know, that's you end up with heirs' property challenges and issues. If one member of your family decides they want to sell that one little slither in the middle of all of that, it all goes up, you know, and so you can lose the land. And that's how many of us have lost our land. And you'll be hearing about that, the African-American land ethic, the South American land ethic, what's been happening, what's the state of our land across the globe? Mm -hmm. We are consistently being displaced, swindled, and our land is being lost. And we know, you know, on a deeper level that there's no such thing as ownership of the land. Yet when you operate within this system and this society, you have to have claims to steward the land and to continue to live there and thrive there without the threat of being displaced and removed. And so we'll be covering that, and we'll have workshops to walk you through step-by-step. Here's the website that you need to go through to make sure that your stuff is together. Talk to these folks who do this for a living. Our brothers and sisters are donating their time and their energy to share this information with you also that we can continue to be self-sufficient. If you purchase land already, you don't know what to do, you want to activate it, or you have activated and you're running into a pitfall, get on this, this conference's line um, because you are going to be met. Shirley Sherrod is going to be on the call. Baba Rashid Nuri is going to be on the call. We've got folks from Alabama and Mississippi with 88-acre farms, 100-acre farms, 6,000 acres, um, where they have been able to transform the land from just farmland to sustainable communities. Learn from them. Ask them questions. It's not just your Zoom meeting where you can't unmute. Um, you can't unmute. We have uh, additional functions on this platform that we're using for greater engagement. So you can message the speaker in real time and connect with them, have their email, and then go off into a community board or to a private breakout room session with them. So I'm just I'm full and I'm excited about this event, and I also know that it's going to be a massive resource to our people 
uh, for those that can tune in live. And if they can't join, we still have replays available as well after the event because that's a lot to take in for 55 speakers <laughs> for over three days. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, certainly, certainly. Right, right, yeah. And I, I'm really sorry that we're we're running out of time, um, but I wanted to ask you in the next um, four minutes or so, um, if you could maybe, um, I, I noticed when, when you presented um, at the conference that, that I keep on, re, you know, um, reiterating because it was so marvelous, and people should look it up, the uh, Pan-African Federalist um, Convention um, for a uh, – uh, United States, United African States um, by 2030. That's that's the movement. Uh, looking at how um, Africa and and those of us in the diaspora, you know, being um, uh, being seen as a state as well, and in this United African States, um, uh, you know, is is being formulated, and we're meeting here. You know, in in this particular region, United States and Canada, and then there are meetings for the Caribbean, and there are meetings in Europe, and in South Asia, and there are meetings, of course, you know, um, on continental Africa. Sort of, sort of, you know, sort of looking at envisioning what the people see this looking like. Um, you mentioned that, um, you know, in the question around technology and and how to keep oneself oneself safe from all of the elect, you know, the um, uh, the uh, radiation that comes from these devices, and this I want to mention to people that this is um, uh, Congo. Um, what is it? Congo Awareness Week. I'm trying to think. Um, it's the it's the week where you're supposed to yeah, like not use so much technology. What's it called? Yeah, the Friends of the Congo is having a. They have their event of you know breaking the silence. Yes, is that what you're referencing? Right. Yeah, exactly. And this is the week where we think about all the people that you know, whose lives are affected by our being able to, like, you know, have this conversation, you know, via a phone, you know, that might be a cell phone and the coltan and other minerals that come out of the con- out of the Congo and how this is connected to, to bloodshed. Um, people don't talk about that as much as they talk about blood diamonds. Um, every time you pick up your phone, you know, that's so many lives went into the making of this particular device um, uh, and that you can be connected like that. So, so anyway, you talked about putting your computer in a bag, um, and I'm like, what is this bag that she was talking about? <laughs> sort of. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. So I mean, we talked about the um, the radiation levels and mm-hmm. um, making sure that we um, making sure that we protect ourselves. Um, and one of the things I'm losing the the, the term really quickly. Give me one second. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a um, there's a protection bag for your uh, for radiation fields, and what we talked about in the past, I never knew the formal the formal name of the bag. I just knew how to create one. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So you can you can create your own bag for protecting yourself from the radiation um, from your phone and from mm-hmm. your from your computers. Um, hold on one second. I'm gonna get the official name, but all it is is that you're creating a, you're creating a uh, a layer. And so you can utilize plastic wrap, aluminum foil, plastic wrap, and aluminum foil uh, to wrap around your, um, what is the name of this bag? I'm trying to, it starts with a T. It's like for EMF radiation, um, they call it like you can find a Defender Shield Faraday bag. It does not start with a T, Faraday, Uh, F-A-R-A-D-A-Y. You can get them small, large, 
Um, I ordered a few of them. I have one that's pretty large, so we put our, our electronic devices in them in the evening because what I was doing was wrapping mine consistently, mm-hmm. uh, and that becomes pretty cumbersome. So if you want somebody to do something very practically, you have to give them the tools to do that. And so uh, they have this, um, they have a bag called a Faraday bag. You can find some that are pretty affordable, but you have to replace mm-hmm. them because they're pretty thin. If you spend a little bit more, you can have them, but I definitely go through a detox process right now. I know I'm subjecting myself to a lot of radiation. And with folks that are purchasing these 5G phones, and we give honor and reverence uh, to our brothers and sisters in the Congo, when we talk about sustainability and making sure it's, it's very difficult when we live in this type of society to get away from consuming those, those uh, products because that is connected to our livelihood as well of how we're going to stay connected. You know, they talk about digital access. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my journey to the Congo. That was one of the first, that was the first country I visited when I went to Africa. Um, and now since I've been to many others, but while there, that was the first time I learned about it. That was back in 2012, I think, uh, where I learned about Colton and uh, the minerals that are being pulled out to create the laptops. And so I'm a very firm supporter on recycling, upcycling, and uh, utilizing brothers and sisters that can go through and clean your hard drive. Your current computer work just as well. Um, to replace mm-hmm. your hard drive versus purchasing a brand-new device. I have a pretty old phone. I don't do the upgrades, and I'm very intentional about making sure that I do my detox with uh, parsley and cilantro, at least taking a few shots um, every other week once I know that I'm, I'm going through and being exposed to this extensively. You have to limit your exposure. We must do that, and we must be clear about it, and we also have to be very mindful about the impacts that we have for everything that we utilize. Uh, from the food that we take in, the air that we breathe, and the products that we consume, and then think about throwing away, right? There's no such thing as trash. Trash is this very Eurocentric uh, concept. There's, it doesn't go anywhere. It goes somewhere else, and it impacts someone else down the line. So we have to be better stewards of the planet and stewards of ourselves and, this, and, and the future for our children because um, that trash is going somewhere, and it continues to be right. extracted from the earth. And, turn back into damaging ourselves. So, yeah. <laughs> so we're definitely going to have you on um, uh, again to talk about the conference, how it went, and, you know, sort of, um, you know, sort of what new um, insights came uh, from the conference for you and for others that attended, you know, with regards yeah. to their their, um, their impressions. And um, and I want to get you to give the uh, the information again on how people can register because we want people to make sure they get in <laughs> on Friday morning <laughs> at 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 noon Eastern time, and I guess 11 uh, Central. And I don't know what the time zone is if you're in like Hawaii. Sorry, you have to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> or Canada, or any other place in the diaspora. <laughs> yes, let them know. GMT minus four is is where we are. So whatever yours is, uh, subtract or add on to it. <laughs> if you're not in the in the U.S. dealing with our time zone, um, please visit BlackSustainAbilitySummit.com. Um, you can find out how to register by clicking our register button. You can look at our schedule to see the lineup. You can even create a mock schedule for yourself and um, list all of the sessions that you're interested in attending so that you can kind of say, okay, these are the times I need to be there. And we have a time zone button where you can click that time zone and it will apply across all of our 
our presentation so that you can only see it in your time zone so you're on time <laughs> and you don't miss it. Um, oh, so that's so lovely. Thank you yeah, for doing that. Um, so we hope to see you all there. And if you forget the website, just type in Black Sustain, Sustainability for Black People. It should come up in Google. Um, we have a pretty good search engine optimization, so don't fear. Look up Black Sustainability Summit. We're the only ones that have this this um, this title and have been doing this work consistently to bring together people across all different fields, water, renewable energy, housing, um, economics, black homeschooling, how we educate our children down to growing our own food. So we hope to see you all there. We have something for everyone, and we encourage you all to be present and engaged. If for any reason the ticket price is prohibitive, scroll all the way down to the bottom and get you a free ticket to at least join us on Friday. We want as many of our people to be there as possible, and we do encourage you all to come and support our work and actually get a ticket uh, so we can continue to pay for the platform to offer this information to our people. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Sister Afia Raina Turner-Greenlee. Um, yeah, it's been really lovely. And, again, um, we will have you on uh, to, you know, share other other insight. And, you know, it's really important, you know, this work, definitely important. We want to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out and seeing the importance in this. It means so much. It really does. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Oh, no problem. Well, I'm going to make sure that I register in time, you know, um, you know, just in case Friday doesn't happen. <laughs> register by tomorrow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and um, yeah, and see you, um, see you on Friday, um, you know, at the, uh, you know, opening, uh, opening ceremonies and hear your talk. All right. I look forward to it. I'll see you all at 9 uh, or 12, mm-hmm. depending on where you are. <laughs> all right. You take good care. All right. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Peace and blessings. Good morning. Thanks so much for hanging in there. Um, Lakia? Lakia, yeah, sorry. Morning. I'm Kachi. I'm Kachi. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, Kachi. Sorry. And how do you yeah. pronounce your last It's a Marowan Newberg. A Marowan Newberg. A Newberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Andrew, are you with us? I am. Good morning. Oh, okay. Hi, Andrew Wood. Um, yeah, um, founder of the San Francisco International Arts Festival, and um, yeah, so you all have sued the city of San Francisco, city and county of San Francisco. Um, however, you are still having a festival on Saturday, uh, October twenty fourth, and it's um. The one day, and uh, you have a variety of um, of programs. And um, in Kichi, um, you you're going to be doing a really really wonderful um, uh, work. And thank you so much for sending me those clips of the other work that you've done. That was really really great. Enjoyed uh, Michelle Obama um, as president. Uh, 2020. <laughs> yes, yes, we can dream. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so um, whoever wants to go first to talk about the lawsuit, and then, um, uh, and Keiji, you could talk about your work and the and the really beautiful um, uh, uh, piece you wrote as a part of the lawsuit. I read that um, a few days ago, mm. and you were talking about your performance in particular and how central it is, 
you know, how it speaks to what's happening, you know, um, you know, politically, you know, in our country and um, you know, specifically, you know, here in in the Bay Area cuz you know, you're you're actually here. Yeah. Well, um Andrew, let me let you go ahead and kind of set the stage and then I'll go ahead and share from there. Oh, to speak. Okay. Yes, um thank you Wanda for having us on the program this morning. And we um, are engaged in a lawsuit with the city and county of San Francisco because they are saying, the city is saying, that uh, the arts are not protected under the First Amendment. Uh, mm-hmm. So they are saying that art is not um, freedom of speech or freedom of expression, and we are contending that it is. Uh, they, the city is saying that in a pandemic, they have the right to supersede the Constitution, which is true. They do. But many judges have, have said, and it is the law, that the government's responsibility is to tailor any type of restriction to the Constitution very, very narrowly so it meets very specific uh, ends. And what has happened is when the pandemic, hap- when the pandemic occurred, we all in the Bay Area voluntarily locked down. And it wasn't voluntarily in the end, it was mandated. But most of us went into that period willingly and in agreement with the government. Since then, we have started to reopen. And we have not reopened in a, uh, in a logical or always safe fashion. But the way we want to work with what we're doing as our program is to actually establish health and safety guidelines as a model for how outdoor performing arts will take place in the coming year. What has already happened is that the city has said and admitted that, for example, religion and religious gatherings are First Amendment rights. And so if you're going to have a religious gathering, then you can have up to 200 people attend that religious gathering. However, they are saying that art does not enjoy the same privileges or the same rights. And we are saying that you cannot distinguish between religion and as a, as a mode of, of expression and art as a mode of expression and freedom of expression. So we're in a federal court today and we will find out if we are prevailing and if the city and the National Park Service, because this event is taking place at Fort Mason, will actually be required to host us and to um, uh, give us the permits that we need to do our event safely and legally. And Nkichi is one of those events. She's one of the first ones, actually, on Saturday at 1 o'clock. So, yeah. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. And yeah, go ahead. No, um, so you said you're you're in court today. That's what our attorneys have told us. Um, the, these okay. things are moving targets. So, you know, it was supposed to be yesterday, and the state, which is also listed in the lawsuit, objected to the to the judge that we had. So they mm-hmm. wanted to get a different judge. So it was held up by a day. Um, the judge is now considering his. He's considering all the arguments and things, and he's going to talk to our attorneys later today and we're expecting them to do something but um we, you know we never quite know but we're expecting something to happen today. Mm. Oh wow. 
Yeah. Yes. Oh, fine. Uh, and it's all done by. Zoom as well, so it's not we aren't all going physically into the court or anything. It's all yeah. being done by teleconference. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So it's um, it's it's not the thing we wanted to come on the show to talk about. Basically, we the city had given us a permit to do this, mm-hmm. uh, and the park service, which has to see a, 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 a an equivalent city permit also said they were going to give us a permit. So we started down this track of organizing and promoting the event. Now it, the lineup is completely there. We're selling tickets. And last week it became kind of clear, not that they were telling us, but the mayor's office from the city of San Francisco was contacting repeatedly the park service and conveying their displeasure at the fact that we were doing our event, despite the fact that they had already issued a permit for it and that it was the city's arts commission that has funded it. So the city is in a a bizarre position of having paid for the event, having permitted the event, and then the chief executive deciding that she doesn't like the event. So um, it is is a strange set of circumstances and one we hope the judge will consider when he is reviewing all the facts of the case today. But like as I was saying, we'd much rather be talking about Nkichi. We also have um, things like the uh, the Speakeasy uh, Storyteller series, which includes Abdul Kenyatta and Devorah Major. We have mm-hmm. great performances with another gentleman named Blue Buddha, who's um, a singer. Uh, that show is actually sold out, but it's, uh, sorry, so we can't get tickets for it. But um, but there's there's just a great array of First Amendment protected activities, theater, music, and dance taking place this weekend at the Fort Mason Center. And, um, and Nkichi is one of them. And she's, and hers, and Nkichi, we, was, we included Nkichi as in, this, in the lawsuit simply because of the power of her work and the theme of her work and how, and how it resonates so completely with what's going on in this country now in terms of the election in terms of Black Lives Matter, in terms of all the things we are saying about civil and equal rights and equity, Nkichi's work just, you know, embodies that completely. And so, and the the statement that you alluded to, Wanda, um, from Nkichi, it just sums up our case in its entirety. So, um, so yes, Nkichi, if you uh, if you want to talk about the work, the um, License to Drive While Black is the title of it, and you're going to do a version, an outdoor version of it, a socially distanced outdoor version of it on Saturday at 1. Yeah, thank you both. My gosh. Um, Yeah, what a surprise we find ourselves in today, Um, just to be kind of embroiled in this uh, very strange battle. But, you know, on, on the one hand, I can say that, you know, I want to thank the city for, you know, just taking their time and being very, um, I would say, safe um, for all of us because we know specifically within the black community that uh, COVID has been hitting at an alarming rate, and that's just something to be noted. Um, so um, I definitely want us to be very safe. But I also know that sometimes people get confused about what happens in art. They think of it as just kind of a passive Thing where there's an entertainer up there doing a show and you know the way I look at it is that you know especially with these kind of outdoor performances 
um, this is an opportunity for um, the community to breathe, actually. You know, artists tend to give breath, give life, give words, give um, release to things that are sometimes difficult to talk about. And uh, my piece, Life and Drive All Black, was a, a piece I started in grad school as I was kind of exploring what it was for me to be a Nigerian-American coming online with the experiences of being black in the United States of America. And I would say that, you know, while it's been beautiful and magical, it's also um, put me right up against, um, you know, the things, just the kind of structural racism, the blatant racism that many of us know too, too familiar, or just too familiar with. But also one of the things that the show has done and it's done in shows past is that really in a gentle and beautiful way um, enables those who yearn to be allies, those who yearn to just be aware in a way that they weren't before to enter in. There's all kinds of ways to enter in, whether it's to engage and play and to talk about the elephant in the room and just say, oh, that's weird. That's awkward. Oh, my gosh, I had no idea. And it's just been such a, a beautiful journey for me. It's been a way to process our present climate and to not lose my mind. And I just think that, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, um, people put art, they don't know where to put art. And I understand that the city is concerned. I heard things like being a, a spreading, you know, an event that spreads. But we as artists are very dedicated to our practices. And more, you know, more than anything, I think that we would err on the side of being overly safe from the microphone use to the distance we are if we're singing um, um, the organization, um, Andrew's organization, has been very, very careful to make sure we know what those are. So we're building shows around that. And I think that's also just what's so beautiful about creativity and art is that we can create within whatever constraints we're given. And so, okay, if we have to do it outside, if we have to do it with the audience um, separated with more than six feet, we, we can do it. And uh, so I'm just hoping that, you know, whatever – papers need to be signed and, you know, whatever people need to get into the same room, they will get in the room and agree, okay, let's give these guys a, a chance, especially since other things are opening up now. So, you know, we kind of have that to our credit too, that a lot of indoor spaces are opening up and um, they've already started to make those uh, strides there. So we know that um, outside spaces are way more. I mean, being outside is a huge uh, deterrent for this virus. So, um, I think that we are we're, we're pretty okay, and we have all the tracing with the tickets and all of that. So I just really hope that the judge will um, hear all the uh, voices and will will sway um, in our direction um, to enable the community to have this opportunity to experience art. And um, um, yeah, I love what Andrew mentioned about religious uh, uh, services too. That. You know, just to think about the, the level of constraint that we've been under um, willingly um, on behalf of, of the other, uh, on behalf of wearing masks, wearing um, face coverings, um, uh, staying at home for the sake of the other, other is actually a very beautiful community experiment that we have done this for each other. And so I feel that as we're um, opening now, um, let us enable us to enjoy art for each other. We know that art is good for people's mental health. I mean, it's just, you know, let's, let's spread the joy. And um, um, I just wanted to read a quote because I think this is uh, really important. Um, it's from Martin Luther King and it's also in the, 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 the paper, the, the um, court document that we 
wrote, but it says a positive religious faith does not offer an illusion that we shall be exempt from pain and suffering, nor does it imbue us with the idea that life is a drama of unalloyed comfort and untroubled ease. Rather, it instills us with the inner equilibrium needed to face strains, burdens, and fears that inevitably come and assures us that the universe is trustworthy and God is concerned. And I sincerely believe, um, not only as an audience member, but also as a person who performs, that when you give people a chance to experience art, it allows them to become more at ease, more balanced with the creator. And I just want to participate in that and helping people have a little bit more peace, a little bit more joy, a little bit more ease in this time that, you know, yes, things look like they're kind of going back to normal, but we know that they are not. There are many, many things that we still need to see happen in our, in our country, in our society, in our world. Um, you know, recently there was a, a massacre in Nigeria, um, you know, uh, that was, you know, it was a, a protest about police brutality and yet you know the 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 bad few you know again had to had to make it a a not good experience and so these are worldwide concerns and I just think that we're at a point where enough is enough and so you know let this show and this our little art be just kind of a little offering that we can do to our society and to um, our community um, to help us just carry the load together to lighten this load that we're all in together and so, yeah, so, um, you know, that's all I want to say is, uh, you know, this is, this is as close to normality as we can hope within the constraint of knowing that we still have a virus that's loose and we're very much aware of it and want to do whatever we can to stay safe, but it's still experience joy. Right, right. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Nkichi, um, for, for your, your remarks and, and Andrew and I'm, Really sorry that I'm kind of running out of time now, <laughs> um, but but I wanted to um, I actually wanted to introduce you properly, uh, Nkichi, um, that you are a San Francisco Bay Area actor, singer, songwriter, painter, and performance artist, and you received your Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from Stanford University, and while at Stanford you performed in a few theater productions, and on a dare you auditioned for and were chosen to sing lead for a college band. And after working a few years as an engineer for a leading semiconductor chip manufacturer in Silicon Valley, following college, you felt inspired by God to pursue life as an artist. And we're really happy that you felt such an inspiration because your work is phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And you entered the uh, entertainment industry as a model, and after some acting training, became began booking national commercials. And after studying, uh-oh, I don't have the rest of your bio. Oh, heck. After studying, um, oh, shoot. Uh, you technique, I can finish for you. <laughs> the Meisner technique, which is an acting technique, um, I just mm-hmm. found myself landing roll after roll after roll, and I'm super grateful for this journey that I've been on. So uh, yeah. thank you so much, Wanda, for that proper introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, yeah. And, and Andrew, I wanted to ask you, um, for those like myself, I'm like not doing anything proximate. Um, will there be a virtual aspect to any of this? Or will, like, if you're not there, yes, you just... Yes, this is being live streamed, which will be on oh. our website and on our YouTube channel uh, on Saturday and Sunday. And so people can sign up for that. And... Um, oh or they can just tune in, but RSVPing is always possible as well. 
And How do they do that? do that? On our website. Just go to our website, sfiaf.org. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, and Kichi, um, uh, your your particular piece. Um, wow, it just it just sounds so exciting. Um, uh, where you know where where did it come from, and and do you have to did you have to adapt it um, at all? Like, have you adapted? Like, has it been changing? Uh, with each iteration? Yes, actually, it's a work in progress. So um, it first started off um, as a 10-minute showing and then eventually expanded up to a 75-minute show that I was able to do at DSpace. And um, and as a, as I'm constantly building and adding um, to it, and uh, I'm actually pretty, pretty excited about um, what I get to do in that open space because it allows me to try things I haven't tried before um you know a lot of my uh, shows tend to have a lot of um interaction with the audience and so it's a fun puzzle to do that interaction with out touch to do it from a distance but i think that's going to be built into the show so uh it's it's really really fun so yeah um this is just me driving around learning and growing and experiencing um life and being able to share that in a humorous and and generous way uh with with those who want to participate so i'm really looking forward to it in fact it's been been a, a good build uh, this this COVID season while being sheltered <laughs> to get really fun and creative with it. So I'm um, looking forward to kind of showcasing that this Saturday. Oh, super! And and do you have a website you'd like to share um, with the audience so they could um, you know become one of your fans and follow you, so to speak? Yes, I do. In, in I do. Way. My name. Oh, I know, right? I know. I do. Actually, my website is uh, N as in Nancy, K as in kitchen, E as in Edward, C as in church, H as in house, I as in ice cream. So that's www.nkechi.com. And uh, there you should be able to find everything you need to know about me and, and what I'm up to next in my creative life. And, uh, yeah, and then also the um, – the San Francisco International Arts Festival has a page that they've made for us artists, and that's uh, Sam Francis International African Francis dot org slash Nkechi. So, would love for you guys to find us. You can also find me on Instagram, um, on Twitter, and all those things. But if you go to my website, you can uh, navigate to all those places. Awesome there. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well. Um, sorry, I have to dash. Um, I've been admitting students into the classroom, and I put a little note. I'm going to start in about five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. Yeah. I just came from a Hebrew class myself to make this call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, cool, cool. Well, gosh, well, good luck on the lawsuit. Um, wow. Um, gosh. Hmm. Yeah, it's a real sort of a different kind of um, energy, um, but I know you all are like channeling and pulling on the ancestors and, you know, the indigenous spirits that, you know, whose whose land we are we are literally occupying. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, so it's going to all work out well. Yeah, and, uh, thank look you. look forward to seeing you on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And congratulations, Angie, mm-hmm. for continuing this, this festival. What year is this for you? This is number seventeen. It's not the festival. It's it's a it's a it's an outdoor event that we wanted to put on basically as a prototype because we know we're going to be doing this again next year and we wanted to do it small and mm-hmm. and well managed and we wanted to prove that it was safe before we started replicating it at larger venues 
in 2021. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not a it's mm -hmm. not a festival. It's just a series of uh, performing arts events that were, are a precursor to next year's festival, which will be outdoors. Okay. Yeah, and I want I want to give Patrick a big commendation for really doing a lot of unity work. Um, it's been just a delight. Um, throughout the last few months to participate with just so many artists and art from different art forms. A lot of times we don't get to collaborate because we're all in our different silos. But um, through COVID, we've actually had a lot of kind of um, Zoom calls with the larger community of artists from singers to instrument players to um, people in opera to uh, comedy to we just all gotten ourselves in the same room because we were all uh, kind of trying to solve the same uh, puzzle um, in terms mm -hmm. of how to make our performances more safe. So I just want to commend um, Andrew for keeping on with the keeping on and keeping us artists together and united mm -hmm. and excited about the future, no matter what um, we're dealing with today. So feel really, really fortunate right. to have found a, a new friend uh, in Andrew and uh, the community of SFIAF. San Francisco International right. Art Festival. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations again. Congratulations to both of you, you know, for the work. Um, art is real important. I mean, it's what keeps us alive and it's what keeps us human. So, yeah. Yeah. And keep on keeping yeah. on, as they say. <laughs> um, bless you, Wanda. Thank you so much. You. I look forward to when we can actually see each other all again in studio, in live, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that would uh, be nice. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. Well, you take good care, both of you. Thank Thanks, you. Bless take you. care. Thank you day. so much. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Peace and blessings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of Wanda's Picks. Peace and blessings, everybody. <laughs>